Many of us have heard of this shamanic brew down in the Amazon called ayahuasca. Some consider it psychedelic, some consider it healing and medicinal, others consider it total woo-woo. But how many of us actually know what it's made of, what goes into it, and how it works? And just like many of these other seemingly esoteric practices, like urine therapy, there happen to be a lot of celebrities that have experience with ayahuasca. In the last few years, many people have heard of Aaron Rodgers from the NFL talking about ayahuasca. His teammates make fun of him for it. That's what ayahuasca did for me, was help me see how to unconditionally love myself. And it's only in that unconditional self-love that then I'm able to truly be able to unconditionally love others. But did you know the one and only Will Smith likes ayahuasca? Megan Fox. We did it for three nights. It was incredibly intense. I went to, to hell for eternity. Just knowing eternity is like t torture in itself because there was no beginning, middle, or end. So you have like a real ego death. Lindsay Lohan. The experience of ayahuasca it was really intense. And I saw my whole life in front of me. And I had to let go of past things that I was trying to hold on to that were dark in my life. Sting. Handed out this brew. And Trudy and I looked at each other. They'd be gonna everybody drinking it so we did i drank it in one and then after about 40 minutes something coursing through every cell in my body like uh, an intelligence searching everything and i am wired to the entire cosmos <laughs> and i realize for the first time this is the only genuine religious experience I've ever had. Call Simon Miley, Cyrus, Susan, Sarandon, and Jim f***ing Carey. I woke up and I suddenly got it. Who is it that's aware that I'm thinking? And suddenly I was thrown into this expansive, amazing feeling of freedom from myself, from my problems. I saw that I was bigger than what I do. I was bigger than my body. I was everything and everyone. Maybe we've heard Graham Hancock or Terrence McKenna talk about how these indigenous people in the Amazon thousands of years ago were told by the ancestors they saw in their tobacco visions to mix this bark on that side of the forest, this vine, on this side of the forest and it'll turn into this magical brew which will help you travel through the many 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 dimensions of consciousness so what is the no fringe truth about ayahuasca my good friend stefano Corta joins me for this episode with the intention of shedding some light on some mechanics and components of ayahuasca that the mainstream just doesn't seem to talk about for example did you know that ayahuasca is part of a legally recognized religion and all this cultural anecdotal experience has got me to thinking, ayahuasca clearly changes lives. But how? And why? Many of us have heard of that one psychedelic compound that got popular back in the 60s called DMT. And that's kind of where our mainstream knowledge of ayahuasca seems to end. But do we know what activates the DMT inside of the ayahuasca brew? DMT is a short-acting psychedelic, but it's not orally acting by itself because there are enzymes in the gut, monoamine oxidases, that will inactivate DMT. What indigenous people have done when they prepare ayahuasca, they combine it with another plant 
that contains monoamine oxidase inhibitors. Hi friends, and welcome back to Sovereign States of Mind. My name is Jordan Erbs. I'm a big proponent of becoming more sovereign in our everyday lives. And in fact, ayahuasca itself developed my interest in this topic called sovereignty, because for the first time in an ayahuasca ceremony, I recognized the importance of claiming sovereignty over my own consciousness. The ayahuasca supported me in recognizing that I always have a choice in claiming what is mine, distinguishing where I am and the rest of the universe begins. True freedom comes from within. I realized I was being codependent. I suffer from migraines, very bad migraine headaches. They, they're a curse of my life. The worst conceivable pain. It starts often on one side of the head and it just grows and grows and grows and it completely dominates you and there's a full body malaise and you feel sick and your stomach gets all knotted up. In the midst of a bad migraine or one of the few times I just feel life is not worth living. Get me out of here. I just don't want any more of this. Mm. And this was about three weeks ago. I had, a, I had an ayahuasca session there. I focused the whole session on Please help me with my migraines. That was that was the whole thing it was about. I had, uh, this is going to sound nuts to people who think I'm nuts, but I'm going to say it anyway. I had a circle of serpents that appeared in front of me and they were all intertwined around each other. And they came closer and closer to my forehead. And in the middle of them was a bright light and it came right down onto my forehead. And I started to feel afraid, as one does in a deeply altered state of consciousness sometime. And I was kind of backing off and I said, I want this to stop. And a voice said to me, just shut up and get out of our way. We're trying to help you. <laughs> and I said, OK. Wow. I su and I surrendered and I let it go the, fu the full course. The net result is that in the, the three weeks since then, when I might have taken 15 or 20 of those pharmaceutical medicines, I've taken one, just one. Uh, and I can't help associating it directly with that, uh, with that ayahuasca experience and focusing my intention. Ayahuasca has been studied since the 1930s, before Big Pharma even became a thing. And scientists were working towards understanding jungle plants and their medicinal values. So for over 90 years, this this plan has been studied. Thousands of professionals are going down to the South American Amazon every year to do ayahuasca ceremonies. Of course, there's the overcoming of certain habits, negative patterns, addictions. But as you look through the literature, you will see that the most commonly reported benefits are reversing in depressive and anxious habits over long periods of time. So we're talking about more than six weeks later, checking in after a ceremony and people recording a much better overall mood in their life. There's an increase in neurogenesis. More neurons are being produced. Neuron density of dendrites are increasing with imbibing ayahuasca. What, what role exactly do neurons play in the brain? Do they help us think? So neurons are the brain and nervous system's Legos. They are pretty much the building blocks of this very elaborate superhighway that communicates with electrical and chemical signals. They're the primary cell. There are other cells that support, but pretty much everything from a breath to a thought is all conducted by your neurons. Neurons are constantly restructuring themselves to better suit 
what we do in life. With exposure to ayahuasca, we notice that these neurons reorganize themselves and grow in larger amount in certain areas being used by the brain over an extended period of time. The CDC says 29 million people in the United States have diabetes. There is some treatment hope from the natural world. Studies are being done on a rainforest vine called ayahuasca. The psychoactive plant holds a key ingredient that may reverse diabetes. So reversing diabetes. Now, this is a 2021 paper, Frontiers of Endocrinology. The exposure to harming on viable beta cells in the pancreas get the functioning pancreatic cells to proliferate and regenerate more. Ultimately, this would lead to the reversing of diabetes because you have functioning cells producing functioning proteins. So let's look at ayahuasca and its modern cultural context. Ayahuasca has three definitions. One, ayahuasca just means vine of the soul. Literally, it just refers to the vine, the Banisteriopsis capi vine. It can also be seen, ayahuasca refers to the brew, and there are over a hundred different types of brew. Some of them just contain vine, some of them contain vine and commonly the chacruna leaf, some contain different variations of mimosa, some contain bogensana, some contain cat's claw. There are over a hundred different types of ayahuasca. So this highlights that ayahuasca is actually a whole entire pharmacopoeia, that each type of brew supports a different type of mental, emotional, spiritual illness. There's actually a large sense of discretion on the type to use and for the type of dieta or ceremony to take place. So when you leave the Western New Age bubble of ayahuasca, we learned that in its more, I guess, native context it's a whole pharmacy of healing exactly this this is the tribe's understanding of how to utilize the jungle to heal this is a very ancient disciplined context dependent and complex system let's expand a little bit could you please tell us about the church of santo daime 25 year old lauren has come from colombia to take daime for the first time I'm here to experience it. I've never tried it before. As they start to sing, the group begins to feel a powerful sensation of harmony. So the Santo Dami Church is a religious organization that has legalized the practice of drinking ayahuasca. The type of ayahuasca that they drink is more diluted and is typically with the vine and the chacruna. They hold ceremony, they combine elements of Catholicism and indigenous spirituality, and they use this psychedelic substance to promote growth, healing, and communion with with nature and spirit. And that's a legally established church. Yeah, it's legally established in originally Brazil, and then it moved to different parts of the world, including the United States. Beyond the official organization, such as the Santo Daime Church, you also notice there's a lot of ceremonies almost everywhere these days, even inside cities and people's living rooms, and everyone seems to be becoming some kind of a shaman. It's almost like we're this new age connecting with an ancient tradition. There's this paper, 2021, in Frontiers in Psychology called Psychedelics, Sociality, and Human Evolution. 
And in there, they speak to the ancestral species of Homo sapiens, inevitably encountering and ingesting psychedelic mushrooms throughout our evolutionary history. Hominins are all the species and subspecies of humans and chimpanzees. It excludes gorillas. Particularly important because it includes all of our evolutionary ancestors. So Homo sapiens evolved 200,000 years ago. And this paper is looking at the Pliocene era, which is 5.3 to 2.6 million years ago. Around this time, different types of geological and uh, environmental evidence, hominins, started coming out from the trees and utilizing the forest floor for food and therefore increased their amount of fungi that they eat. Within this whole diet of fungi were psychedelic mushrooms. It's very likely that our Homo sapien ancestors, our human being ancestors, for about 5.1 million years have incidentally ingested psychedelic mushrooms. And so they speak to an evolutionary timescale how this incidental use of these bioactive mushrooms led to ritual use as human culture was developing. They back this up by stating psychedelics had a way in enhancing sociality, imagination, and eloquence. And they suggest that it's this ability increase that supported their overall adaptability and fitness. So when I look at this timescale and I read psychedelic mushrooms, I can easily read plant medicine just in general that over time, incidental use of plant medicine in all its forms eventually led to ritual use of plant medicine and eventually institutional use. When you say we are this new age connecting to this ancient tradition, it's a tradition that very likely transcends the Homo sapiens species itself, which is kind of psychedelic to think about. This whole arc of interest to reconnect back to this ceremonial practice has to do with people waking up and remembering something. And even if on the personality level, people are speaking of woo-woo wording, I personally see it as people want to reconnect to something a lot, a lot deeper. And then, of course, there's the prevalence of DMT in pop culture. Joe Rogan, The Grateful Dead, Terrence McKenna, Timothy Leary. A rhythm in modern culture over the decades. And there's also this new thing coming out of the Big Island of Hawaii, which is microdosing the ayahuasca vine itself. So there's something about the healing ceremony <clears throat> that we seem to be taking little bits and pieces out for their own value that they offer and finding finding something there. And you mentioned earlier about this connecting to source, connecting to God. I've always heard it put like DMT is kind of that chemical, uh, the spirit molecule by, by Dr. Rick Strassman. Certainly like a, a spiritual business trip, I've, I've also heard it, 15 <laughs> minutes with God and you come back. The Amazon is their pharmacy. They know every plant, every tree. They understand all their properties. They're, they're real experts in, in, in working with it. I'm a neurological mess, you know, but I'm, mm. I'm, I'm grateful to the fact that I've had three weeks now of relief from these horrific migraine symptoms. And I can't help feeling that, that, that this ayahuasca session had a lot to do with it. And it's the DMT in ayahuasca, uh, which, is, which is 
undoubtedly the active ingredient. The mystery and why it's science is that the other ingredient of the brew is the ayahuasca vine. So I've done ayahuasca a few times, and my very first time was the stereotypical, whoa, blow me out of my body, send me traveling throughout the universe. Eventually, I had to learn that I needed to anchor myself into my body with my breath because my consciousness just wanted to just leave and to go. And in the beginning, it did leave and it did go. And when I came back, it was because I heard a scream echoing throughout the jungle valley below me. As I came back, that sound was pulling me in and suddenly the shaman started making some music and I realized that that scream was me. That scream was a unique sound that came from inside of me. And where I was coming from was this infinitely helix spiral that felt like DNA, could have been a vine, but as I've come to interpret it later, ayahuasca itself was helping me open this door to see what was inside, but then I had the key to actually solving the problem. The plants just show us what's going on. We have to do the work. That's why ayahuasca helped me discover the essence and importance of sovereignty, because up until that point, I was always trying to outsource the hard work. Oh, I'll hire someone to do it. Oh, I'll take a pill for it. Oh, I'll smoke weed for it. There's a solution that's outside of me. When really it all happens, it all takes place inside of us. Both the damage and the healing. We have to take responsibility for the work that needs to be done. And that is the essence of sovereignty, in my opinion. Beautiful. So let's distinguish between the components of the ayahuasca brew. There is primarily two ingredients. You have DMT, which is sourced from things like chacruna and mimosa hostilis, and then add the copy vine. Now in my story, I took the first cup from the shaman and it was very liquidy. I didn't really feel much, but I did get the purge aspect, which in later ceremonies I would find is awesome. But the second cup I got, that was on my own volition. He asked, does anyone want another cup? And I was feeling gross and I was tired and I was frustrated and I didn't have coffee that day. But I said, no, Jordan, you've wanted to do this for so long. Go have that second cup. So I went and had that second cup and he gave me a thicker one. And that thicker one was what I would find out later has more of the DMT in it, the chacruna. Suffice to say, after that second cup, I blasted off. The copy vine has the harmala alkaloids, which support the uptake of neurological influencing chemicals, neurotransmitters, DMT. All I knew about in the beginning was chacruna, the DMT plant. I had read The Spirit Molecule by Rick Straussman, MD, and I'd learned it was the connection to source chemical that they speculate is what releases when you dream and before you die. This was speculation I had heard about, but I had never experienced before. I had never even smoked DMT before my first ayahuasca experience. So the chacruna plant has all the DMT in it, but if you were to just eat the plant, nothing would happen. You need what's called an MAO inhibitor to actually digest the DMT. And that's where copy vine, the ayahuasca vine, comes in. And so that the body doesn't break it down and absorbs it, the MAOI augment the digestive tract and support the continued binding of the DMT. After my first few ceremonies and recognizing the difference between this more liquidy brew and this thick, chunkier brew, I started asking myself, maybe there's something more to the non-psychoactive ayahuasca vine. So, in the lush green heart of the Amazon thrives the Banisteriopsis copyvine. As you can see here, it's like, it's got some bark to it. And these kind of vines are known as liana. And these are pretty fast growing as far as vines go. And if you see here, they will pair up with one another 
and grow all the way up through the canopy into the sunlight. We have here, these are the ayahuasca flowers. They're very white. They have calyxes on the bottom and the outside and they have very beautiful smell and a very particular type of pollinator, type of bee. A cool story I heard, Dennis and Terrence McKenna brought the capi vine to Hawaii in the early 70s and most of the vine that grows here are from the same exact cuttings. There are I believe about six to ten uh, different subspecies of Banisteriops capi. Also there are other types of species within the Banisteriopsis genus and other related plants as well. I personally think it's really funny that the vine emoji in your smartphone text messaging is indeed a Banisteriopsis capi vine. This vine isn't just a botanical wonder. It's a living, breathing part of the rainforest complex tapestry. A great movie to watch, and I strongly recommend, is Embrace of the Serpent, and it describes a story of how the South American native people ultimately and courageously trusted the medicinal knowledge of plant medicine to be spread into colonized society. Okay, now we're going to dive into the chemistry a little bit, and bear with us because this leads to a really interesting point we're going to make at the end here. The Benisteriopsis copy has the MAOIs. MAOIs in the vine are a classification of drugs known as beta-carbolines. The beta-carbolines that are inside are a family of molecules known as harmala alkaloids. So what are the harmala alkaloids? Alkaloids are any class of a nitrogenous organic compound of plant origin which have pronounced physiological actions on humans. For example, caffeine is an alkaloid. Nicotine is an alkaloid. Morphine is an alkaloid. So the harmala alkaloids is a family of alkaloids that are all structurally similar to one another and can act as this MAO inhibitors or something like DMT. They inhibit the breakdown of monoamines. Monoamines are typically going to be your neurotransmitters. Neurotransmitters are things like dopamine, serotonin, acetylcholine, neuropinephrine. And these neurotransmitters span function completely of the body. So, right, you have your, your dopamine and your serotonin. Dopamine and serotonin are feel-good molecules. You have your histamines and your L-dopa and tyramine. You also have your epinephrine and norepinephrine. Epinephrine and norepinephrine regulate stress. So in each of these cases, you have action-reward molecules, you have stress-regulating molecules, and you just have regular functional neurotransmitters that regulate immune function, circadian rhythm, blood pressure. So if you have MAOI in the system, the neurotransmitter will bind more often. Instead of producing one signal, it may produce two. And over a systemic environment of the nervous system, you might have an overall general increase in the activity of your neurotransmitters. So these neurotransmitters that the MAOI is systemically affecting your health. So what this means is that systemically, many of your neurotransmitters are now performing at a slightly higher rate. So MAO inhibitors affect human physiology on multiple levels. But where it gets fun is MAOIs also affect the effectiveness of DMT, dimethyltryptamine. One of the interesting things about endogenous DMT, and especially with its discovery in such high levels in the brain, is that it may be the endomatrix. It could be kind of regulating everything all of the time. 
What do you mean by that? Regulating everything all the time? It could be the way we interact with reality is through endogenous DMT, which is always at a steady level. You know, why does the brain make DMT? What's the function of it? You know, there's the possibility we have a DMT neurotransmitter system, like serotonin or dopamine, in which case, you know, what is it doing? Because of the harmala alkaloids, your entire body is functioning at a heightened state already, but then you're increasing the effectiveness with DMT. So thus far, we've learned the difference between chakruna, the DMT containing plants of ayahuasca, and kapi vine, which contains the harmala alkaloids. But we still want to know how are these religious experiences created when we ingest ayahuasca. And that's where kapi vine enters the equation at a more significant level. In July 1990, Terence McKenna gave a talk called Man Thinks, God Knows, God Knows, Man Thinks. Based around halma, the same stuff, same word. And from there, Flattery argues that uh, it was pagaman harmala, that it was harmaline, that it was not a mushroom, that it was a higher plant. Apparently, in the Avestan classical period, no one would have dreamed of having a spiritual experience without resort to drugs. They just put it very plainly. They're the most matter-of-fact people. They say, you know, here's our map of the spirit world entirely based on our drug experiences, and here are the drugs we use, and to see these angels you must use this drug, and to see these angels this drug, and so forth. We don't really know what these drugs were because the, the etymologies are lost, but harmaline figures very strongly in all of this, and of course harmaline is a uh, neurotransmitter present in human metabolism. In fact, this transformation of language from something heard to seen that I was talking about, I believe is a one or two gene mutation because in the human pineal gland there is a compound called adenoroglomerotropine. That's what the enzymologists call it. But when you show it to a, a plant biochemist, he says it's 6-methoxy-tetrahydroharmalan. And so it is. Adenoroglomerotropine and 6-methoxy-tetrahydroharmalan are the same thing. Well, it's a psychedelic harmine alkaloid, similar to what's in Pergamon harmala. It uh, could be converted to DMT by a simple methylation. Well, a one-gene mutation would make a methylation possible. Attention, consciousness, cultural values. We don't know how many times since the invention of language there have been significant mutations in the, in the chemistry of the nervous system that have created significant changes in cultural programming. So there's something historical about harmaline or the harmala alkaloids that even the ancients had their finger on. So what Terence brings up here is when it comes to something like ayahuasca, could it be that we're asking the wrong questions? As I interpret what Terence says here, it literally could have been language and culture itself that made harmaline alkaloids able to affect our brains in the way that it does. This further Stefano's point from the beginning of this episode, that we have been evolving alongside of these plants that we use for these spiritual purposes. It hasn't been just a biological evolution. It has been something much deeper and much greater. As someone who's had a very extensive relationship with cannabis over the years, I like to compare copy vine and ayahuasca to CBD and THC. Before you ever smoked or just took CBD, you only knew what it was to smoke the whole cannabis plant which had both. But when you start to separate the two, which is what the industry has done now, you can do 
pure THC, you can ingest pure CBD. And you really can see the difference and how you can see that there's maybe a time and place for both, or maybe you don't like one of them. Very similar with Capivine and Ayahuasca. Once you start separating these two, two things, you can, in my experience, I've noticed that all the greatest parts about Ayahuasca beyond the super intense macro dosing healing experiences, which I don't refute, but they're really intense. Capivine is a way to stay sober and continue to raise your awareness and lighten yourself in a very natural way, working with plants. And if you do want to have some fun, it potentiates other substances such as caffeine, CBD, THC, and you can use your imagination, what else? It also potentiates meditation and exercise. You can feel yourself just a little bit better. Take some time in the beginning, but as you build that routine, it's pretty mind-blowing. Taking just a vine is legal. According to the DEA, it isn't a controlled substance at all. Ayahuasca vine is non-psychoactive. It's non-impairing. You stay completely functional. There are two main ways to learn from these plant allies. Big doses, which last hours and hours, they're very impairing, very profound, and microdoses. And the main effect of a microdose is really just a general uplifting of the spirits. You don't feel anything psychedelic, hallucinogenic, anything to that degree. You don't see things or think differently, but everything feels like it has more clarity. In fact, I wish I was on a microdose right now. When I take a gentle dose of copyvine, I'm supplying my body with a small amount of MAO inhibitors that gently increase all these neurotransmitter functions. This results in a very gentle perspective and over time creates a new level of awareness that is integrated into life. The The major five things that copy does is one, it supports the potentiation of those neurotransmitters. So now neurotransmitters are working more effectively, right? They're, they're causing a bigger effect on the body. With that, you also affect the way your body changes. So in the case of exercise, your body will secrete different types of hormones around norepinephrine and epinephrine. And with the MAOI, the effect from exercise is also potentiated. The reduction in stress after exercising is increased, is lasts longer as you take MAOI. Uh, stimulant tolerance. So usually we take coffee, we take uh, tea, other types of stimulants, uh, even in cases of Ritalin and Adderall. And essentially, in most cases, you have a larger secretion of dopamine, of stimulation. And so what happens is you chemically alter your environment to be able to withstand the effects of this increase in stimulation. So you get what is known as a tolerance to the stimulant effect. Now there, of course, becomes the days where you need more coffee and you develop your stimulant tolerance even further. And then you drink into your fifth cup, you develop it even further. You drink your sixth cup and you start to realize this is this is not working. You, you have to take a break. You have to take a coffee break. And everyone dreads the coffee break, right? Because you don't feel like doing anything at all. You get a really bad headache. You feel extremely sluggish. Some people might feel like they'd rather die. But when you take an MAOI inhibitor during these times of the stimulant detox, you essentially are making whatever stimulants naturally occurring, your dop natural dopamine levels, you're making them more effective. So instead of adding more 
stimulants to the chemical concoction of your neurocircuitry, you're just using whatever's there a little bit more effectively. And this has a great reduction in the withdrawal effects of such large loads of, of stimulants. It makes that transition point a lot easier on the body, mm. on the mind. And then you have emotional extreme regulation. So as an entrepreneur, right, you have these really increased points of ex excitation and then fear and depression and then excitation and then fear and depression. And so this is like an emotional roller coaster, right? So when you take an MAOI, what would happen is the amplification of your heightened states and your depressive states kind of smooth out and kind of live more in a, in a buffer. And then we go into emotional flexibility and durability as a, a really great advantage to taking copy. I know in people with ADHD, it's typically a difficult thing for a person to jump from one emotion to the next. Each emotion represents a type of mode, let's say, to go from very focused work, deep work, the deep focus, and then coming out of that and having a conversation with your boss about it. These are two different parts of the brain. And so what an MAOI inhibitor does, what copy does, is it really helps the process of going from one emotional focus to the next, from one emotional state to the next. Because, again, you have a greater supply of neurotransmitters to utilize as you transition from one emotional state to the next. Also with that, essentially a type of emotional flexibility would be failure. Things are working. It's great. You can keep working. Things are working. It's great. Let's keep working. But when you fail, it's like, shoot, do I want to keep working on this or do I want to pivot? And then you have doubts. Then you have fears. And then you have yada, da, 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 da. When you are taking copy, once again, you have more neurotransmitters to pull upon. Your ability to feel and remember why you're doing this becomes more pertinent in your reality, in your functioning self. And so it comes with, with taking a copy at the microdose level. We're talking about being able to endure habits that maybe you want to emphasize. Instead of working for maybe an eight-hour shift, you want to pull a nine-hour shift. You've got to teach your body to withstand that new level of stress. When you take the MAOI, you are indeed allowing yourself to train yourself more effectively because you're pulling on a greater number of neurotransmitters. And something really interesting here that Stefano brings up is the increase in neurogenesis, which is nerve growth, meaning the more ayahuasca vine you take, the more regeneration of your nerves. And what is our nervous system, but our whole experience of reality? There's a saying, the only thing we ever really experience in this life is our own nervous system. Because... That's where our human experience comes from, sensory input. So in a very real way, Copyvine supports building your awareness in this life. Kind of trippy when I think about it that way. So when you microdose harmala alkaloids, you're essentially experiencing your body at a subtly increased volume. And over time, that is integrated into your general life experience because our body is our fundamental interface for reality and life. And from a practical perspective, this is the theory of why it helps with overcoming addiction. 
because it leads to less intense withdrawals. You're replacing the bad habits with neurogenesis, nerve growth. What MAOI does is it helps you just feel what's happening inside you more effectively. What's already happening is happening at just a slightly higher level. So you still have to choose to go into that ninth hour. It just now you feel maybe a little bit more resourced because you're able to feel your body a little bit more. You're able to really connect to yourself a little bit more. And as you connect to yourself, you feel your body's own energy. This kind of helps you remember why you're doing everything. Your reasons become more effective. It's not like taking Adderall. It's not like taking some sort of stimulant. Matter of fact, if your adrenals are really worn out, you might feel sleepy. Some people, they take this at night in order to help them go to sleep, in order to help them rewire their circadian rhythm. So it's almost like you're putting yourself in a more malleable state for the choices you're about to make or the DMT that's about to kick in in the big dose context. You are entering a more malleable state. And with this more malleable state, it's easier to achieve something like a flow state where there is this level of listening and action that are closely tied together. And it's easier to go into that very deep performance level connection with your work, with life. And so the copy, not only is it helping you connect to yourself, it is helping you connect to the world. And there's one one more thing that I want to state is with the quality of feeling comes the quality of remembering why you're doing as you feel yourself, it is a very specific choice point to speak from what is happening inside you. People talk about my authentic truth, right? So there's this authentic truth that lives inside us. And so whether or not to speak from it is always a choice. As we connect to what is authentic for us, we start to recognize that, yes, we are part of a bigger picture. Being part of that bigger picture is our connection to nature, it has been recently stated that the happiest people live in Denmark, and it's for this exact reason. They have a relationship with nature. Now, do they need copy in order to be happy? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying they have a staple in their culture that honors and recognizes the experience of being connected to the natural environment, to the earth, the, the act of appreciating the, the natural world, all its beauty, preserving it making it a part of life. The overall message that I've learned from this plant, because it's very interesting, Jordan, this this plant just wants to grow. It takes so little effort for it to grow. And if you leave it alone in the jungle, even if the weeds grow over it, it'll find a way through the weeds. If you leave it in a place that's heavily bushed, it'll find its way into a tree, climb its way on to the, to this, to the canopy. It's so easy to grow that I can only think that this plant has a consciousness of, an, of its own and it wants to help people. As I talk to, to shamans in Peru, right, I'm currently helping out a family in the Shipibo community. They, they all recognize that, yes, this, this plant has a consciousness and you can hear it in the songs that they're really trying to connect to this consciousness of the plants as they patiently listen and, and experience our world, just waiting for us to connect to them. That this copy is really a doorway into that. Um, and it's ever so gentle that it's not about having these very large experiences where your whole life change. 
I'm talking about copy helping you directionally, day by day, layer by layer. Maybe you reflect at night at how wonderful your day was, and you begin to live a little bit closer to the appreciation of life. Again, this this plant or just plant allies in general has been in relationship with humans for longer than Homo sapiens have set foot on Earth. And in this day of AI, in this day of falling asleep with your phone next to you, technology exponentially taking a large bulk of our attention now more than ever. I really think people can use these plant allies to help them really remember that that natural connection inside to the world and even to the to the other world. The, the spirit world, the world of imagination, the world just beyond this world that we all rejuvenate from. And so, to my dear listeners, I strongly recommend you open up ears and hearts, and it moves you to really try out try out the copy and see if it really helps. So, I hope this episode has been somewhat enlightening, and you've learned something new, and maybe it gives you a new perspective. On this whole trend and hype that is ayahuasca, it is really a powerful thing out there in the world. Thousands and thousands of years old, humans have been working with the copy vine. And I have nothing but gratitude for the plant world, for the universe, for God who made it. However you choose to look at life, we live in a very spectacular world. And the experience of our consciousness seems ever infinite and i for one want to continue exploring my consciousness in new ways through my body through my mind through my emotions through plants through creating content through meeting people community networking all these beautiful things thanks for watching if you learned something from this i appreciate you sharing with a friend that you think might also learn something from this many people believe this is the path to changing the world one individual at a time working with the plants, building awareness. Next thing we know, we don't settle for the bullshit anymore. Much love. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is available on all major apps. Please head over and follow there. And if you really like it, leaving a quick review and five stars is super helpful, especially on Apple Podcasts. SovereignStatesOfMind.com is a place you can put in your email to receive things to your inbox every week. These are updates. These are blog posts, anything related to this podcast and the theme of developing Sovereign States of Mind. SovereignStatesOfMind.com. You can also support the show there by becoming a monthly patron. My name is Jordan Herbs. You can find me on Twitter as Jordan Herbs, J-O-R-D-A-N-U-R-B-S. And I look forward to interacting with you and hearing a bit about your journey. If you're interested in coming on this podcast, don't hesitate to be in touch. Much love. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Sovereign States of Mind.